Thank you so much for joining me on Teach Me How to Money. We are back with Erin Lowry. Hey, Erin. Hi, thanks for having me again. It's great to be back. Excellent. So we are here, well, first of all, for those who don't know you, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. I am Erin Lowry, the founder of BrokeMillennial.com and the author of Broke Millennials, Stop Scraping By and Get Your Financial Life Together. Okay, Erin, we're here to talk about love and money. My favorite topic. Relationships are hard and money can make them harder. Do you agree? Yes. So I'm not on the dating apps anymore because I'm, I, I am married. Is there a way to find out if someone is good with money on Tinder? I don't think so. I will also say I'm not on the apps because I'm engaged <laughs> and I've been with my partner since 2010. So I never really was on the apps. But wouldn't that However, be helpful? I've played with them on other people's phones. But wouldn't that be sort of helpful if you could find out if somebody had, you know, good monetary values on, on Tinder or on any of the apps? I mean, I would love if everybody brought a credit report to their first date, but I'm pretty <laughs> realistic about the odds of that ever happening. I do think you can start picking up context clues very early in a relationship, though, to determine and whether or not you might be financially compatible with someone. I think that's a great start. So say you can't find out right away. I mean, if you look on someone's profile and they're, you know, they're posing in front of a Benz or they're, they're, they're posing with jewelry that they wish they had, that could be a good sign that they might not value money in the same way. True. Depending on what you value. Maybe those are things you value and that's fine. Um, but I will say, I don't know that you can get it all from pictures, but definitely sitting down and talking to someone, particularly in a date context, because you can kind of get a sense of lifestyle desires and how much someone is spending on a date. Are Is your person offering to split it with you or is there an expectation that one person's going to pay? All of those kind of things really do start to give you senses about somebody's relationship with money. I think the first few days can definitely give you a bird's eye view into how a person likes to spend or what they like to spend their money on. Definitely. So when I used to date many, many years ago, I always used to like to split the check because I just wanted everyone to start off on equal footing so we could have a great time. But sometimes I know that there are men and women out there that like to make a big splash on a first date. And what I would always say was that's not really an indicator of the person or their financial life. Everyone wants to make a good impression. It's true. And I think also, though, in the reverse is sometimes people offer what is perceived as a frugal date, you know, especially if you're living in New York City, like we are, for instance, maybe you want to go to one of the free movies in the park because you think that that would be a fun thing to do. And then that can get read as either you're frugal and you don't have enough money to take me on a quote unquote real date, Mm -hmm. or it can be like, oh, great, you're clever and like to do free things. So that's also a good way, if that's something you enjoy doing, to weed out a partner who potentially wouldn't be financially compatible with you because if they feel that that's not fun, then maybe it's good to know that right away. I think that's a great tactic. When I think of a a movie in the park, I just think of a fun date. I don't think, oh, he's being cheap. And some people do. And some people do. That's very interesting. So when do you think is the best time to bring up personal finances? So say this magical relationship we're talking about, we're on the the fifth or sixth date, we're getting along great. When do you start to look into the financial situation? There's two levels. I call it getting financially naked. And there's your 101 level, which is you're casually dating. Maybe you're exclusively dating each other, but it's still, in the scheme of things, a more casual relationship. Do you call it full frontal financial? Yes, we're going to get there. Hold on. <laughs> Step one is just 101. And you're talking about things like who pays for dates, what kind of lifestyle dating-wise are we living, how lavish are we being, how much are we spending on presents for each other, let's say holidays, birthdays, what have you, those kind of things. And you need to be having that conversation as soon as it's relevant. You know, if you're a couple dates in, and let's say you're in a heterosexual relationship and the man keeps paying, 
saying, well, at some point you might want to start offering or, you know, go 50-50 or maybe you guys rotate, you know, work it out for yourselves. And then when you realize this is somebody that I could either marry or spend the rest of my life with, that's when you start to do full frontal financial nudity, which is the process of telling each other absolutely everything. What if they see that I have a little bit of credit card debt, they leave me? Well, that could happen, sadly. Is that kind of irrational if someone's already in love with you? I don't think it's irrational. I completely understand the fear. But I don't think that debt needs to be a deal breaker. Because to me, and in my opinion, and one thing I like to talk about when we discuss this, is it's not the fact that they have it. It's how they're currently handling it. Because maybe it's something that, you know, especially with something like credit card debt, maybe you're now 28 and it's something that happened at 23 when you were younger and perhaps a little bit more compulsive. But now there's a debt-free payoff plan and you're, you know, working it and you've never gotten in more credit card debt. So it's the today behaviors that matter. Now, if you're still continuing to accrue credit card debt and not changing your behaviors, that's a big red flag and something you need to discuss. Now, I'm not advocating you cut and run, but you do also have to acknowledge what that could mean in terms of a future together. Do you and your fiance have compatible saving and spending styles? We're very compatible. And I think part of it is because we're not the same. He's a bit more of a spender and I'm a bit more of a saver, but I was a saver to a point where I didn't do anything fun, which isn't the best. So he definitely helped loosen me up a bit. And he wasn't a, you know, way over the top spender, but I definitely focused him a bit and he's now great at saving up to pay those down. And he works extra in order to have more money to put towards them, as well as hitting his other financial goals, like emergency savings. We both have travel funds, all that kind of stuff. It's such a bummer that we're to have great financial habits. The words like frugal, that doesn't sound very sexy. I like frugal. I hate the word cheap, though. I think they yeah. mean two very different things. So frugal to me is fine, but I'm a money nerd, so that's okay. <laughs> I guess I do find it sexy because I'm like, oh, yeah, you're not going to blow all your money and we'll have a lot of money in the future. And I've always been a person who can do delayed gratification. You know, have you heard of the marshmallow test? I have, but you should explain it yes. to our listeners. So the marshmallow test is something that adults do to children to test them for delayed gratification. And the premise is simply, there's a couple different versions. The one that got done on me when I was three was my mom came in and put one marshmallow down in front of me and say, if you eat this now, that's it. But if you leave it for five minutes, when I come back, you can have two marshmallows. And I just sat there and stared at it for five minutes until she came back. Now my sister picked it up, would put it in her mouth and then take it out and put it back down. (laughs) So she wasn't eating it specifically, but she was also kind of indulging today. It actually is a pretty good indicator of who we are as humans now. I am all into delayed gratification, and she can do it, but she also lives it up a little bit more than I do. What if I told you I had, like, three marshmallows in my mouth right now? Well, then I'd be curious to know your savings account, I guess. Interesting. (laughs) Moving on, what about you guys take the next step and you guys decide to move in together? What are some conversations that should start popping up then? You definitely, before you move in, should be discussing who's going to handle which bills, how much you're going to be paying the rent. Are you going to split it 50-50 down the middle or is it going to be prorated based on who earns more or what debt situations might be like? I will also say that if you are prorating because perhaps you don't have debt and your partner does and you want to help your partner pay down the debt faster, well, if you don't end up together, that was a very generous gift, but there's really no way to recoup that if you start to have some cranky feelings about it. That's a tough one. I will say splitting 50-50 makes it really easy, but if you earn drastically different incomes and you, the person earning more, wants to live in a nicer area, then you really do need to prorate it because you can't force your partner to come up to your lifestyle expectations if that's not something your partner can afford. 
And there's also a whole lot in terms of if you do make very different salaries, how you navigate who's paying for what and what your lifestyle is going to be. There does definitely need to be a little bit of compromise there. Sometimes people will move in together to save money, but I have found that that can also cost you money when the relationship doesn't work out. Yes, I think in, I'm sure other cities, definitely in New York, there's the lease breakup. So you hold on until the end of your lease and then suddenly you two are no longer together. Definitely see that happen with people. Oh my goodness. That's so grim. We've all been there though. (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk. You decide to take the plunge had to get engaged. This opens up a whole world of societal expectations that I would love to talk to you about. So let's get into it. Where would you like to start? The engagement ring factor? Let's talk about the engagement ring. Um, I heard from the TV that the man has to spend two months salary or else he is no longer a man. That's actually pretty low. Oh, is it three months salary now? Yeah, I think it's now three to four. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Peach, that's what I call my fiance. Uh, he spent zero because I asked to not have an engagement ring. So what was your logic behind that? It was a fewfold. I kind of vary my reason depending on with whom I'm speaking because I find, especially with other women, sometimes they think I'm making a judgment on their decision to have one, which I'm not. It was a personal decision. One was aesthetically, I'm not really into the gems. And sure, I could have had a plain band, but I felt like, oh, let's just hold off until the wedding. We both have wedding bands, so we'll exchange those. I don't love the symbolism behind the engagement ring in a heterosexual relationship because just the woman tends to wear one. Sure. And I brought it up to Peach when we were talking about it. I said, you know, look at our friends who are same-sex couples. They usually either both do or both don't wear one. So like, why is it just me who's getting branded, for lack of a better word, that I'm off the market when you are too? I don't like that. And if he was willing to wear an engagement ring, I would have been fine wearing one as well. If you would like to wear rings, which you don't. That's true. I do have a, I usually wear a cloud ring, but that's just like a family heirloom ring that I wear, but I'm not, I have zero jewelry on right now. So I'm not always so into the jewelry. But that's an expense that you think that you have to spend on that you're- You do. And I will say it when I brought it up and said, I don't want an engagement ring. He took a minute to process it because he felt like, okay, even if that's actually your choice, it's going to be a judgment levied against me because people are going to think that I couldn't afford to give you one. Sure. And it's a horrible but completely true response. And that is something that we did have to kind of talk through with some people. Now, people who know me well were not remotely surprised by this decision. But yeah, in the general public, you know, when he went to work and told people that he works with that he proposed, two other guys proposed in the same month. And, you know, they're all showing the rings. And he's like, yeah, well... They don't have one. It's crazy how men have this expectation to spend and women have an expectation to want to receive something so expensive. And what is, I mean, I can go on and on too. I have an old, very vintage ring and I wanted to save all that money for a very small wedding and for a down payment. Mm -hmm. So everyone has very different ideas of what, you know, you can't eat a ring, you know, and ideally as you get older, you guys make more money. There could be a I want to want a nicer ring in the future. So why does you have to spend all that money on this ring right now when you already are spending so much money on everything else? It's true. And that was a big part of it for me is that I felt the money could be better put elsewhere um, combined with all the other factors. Now on the flip side, I will say part of the history of the engagement ring in the United States, one was a great marketing campaign by De Beers, which if you want to look up about that, many great articles about that. But It also essentially was seen as more or less a down payment on a woman's virtue, to use archaic terms. Sure. 
And particularly if a woman, quote unquote, compromised herself before the wedding and was jilted and left at the altar, then she had a means of financial compensation. She could sell the ring. That's right. Unfortunately, I do know a woman currently going through a semi-similar process. Now, not in the sense that she was compromised or virtue was compromised and she can no longer be, you know, a suitable bride, but in the sense that she ended up with a lot of credit card debt from her relationship, primarily because of her then fiance was a spender. And it's all in her name. Mm. So the legal recourse for trying to get some of that back would be pretty difficult to prove and that it wasn't a gift for him. And he did buy her an engagement ring, and that was a gift. So she can keep it, she can sell it, and she can put that towards the credit card debt. Though that's a tough thing to happen. It's I, incredibly tough. I, and it, you know, it's heavy, and and that's sadly part of why the ring exists. And, you know, it's 2018, and I know a woman who essentially needs to use it for its originally intended purpose. Okay, so you're planning a wedding. You guys got to the engagement. You did it the way you wanted to. When I got married, I bought a cake. I didn't buy a wedding cake. I just bought a cake. And it was 80 bucks. We had a very small wedding. And I felt like I got away with murder. What are some traps you can get out of when planning your kind of wedding, whatever kind of wedding that is? First, I would say the two of you should sit down and decide what the two of you want and write it down. Because in six months, when everyone else has had their opinion in there and you've you know seen pretty things and Pinterest and other people are doing it, <laughs> It's very easy to stray from the original intention. So try to be on the same page with each other. Also, it's not the bride's day. It's your day as a couple. Mm -hmm. You both need to be having input on this entire process. It's really bothered me throughout the planning process how often if Peach is with me, people are like, well, his opinion doesn't matter. I'm like, yes, it does. Of course it does. It's half like his stuff too. And also there are moments where I'm like, I really don't care. Do you care? He's like, oh, I care about this particular thing. Like, great, you pick. So don't, I I hate the whole princess for a day type thing. Jim Gaffigan has such a good bit about weddings. I think it's on his Obsessed album. If you haven't listened, you should go back and listen to that because it really just nails my whole feelings. Do you remember the joke? Well, it's a whole about eight minute long bit, but a big part of it is this idea of you're trying to be princess for a day and your parents are like, we'll invite my parents' friends and your parents' (laughs) friends and have a banquet. And it's just, (laughs) so true about how we treat weddings these days. In terms of actual hacks, if people are interested, so that was a great one, just, you know, buying a delicious cake. I think sheet cake is often better than over-the-top wedding cake because of all the fondant and stuff that tends to be on those. We're doing ice cream cake, and we're not displaying it at any point. We're not doing the traditional ceremonial cutting because I think it's just kind of weird. If you have some cool way to do it, like, I've been to military weddings where he uses a saber, and, you know, that's kind of cool. That's cool. A chainsaw, that's cool. Yeah, that's cool. We have no, like, cool way to do it, so we're like, just cut it up in the back and bring it out. Like, this doesn't need to be a big thing. But because we're not doing that, it doesn't have to be, one, we don't need a cake topper, tiny savings. We don't need an over-the-top decoration of the cake, another savings. My big thing was two ways I really reduced my stress level is I used vendors that my friends had used. Um, My photographer, for instance, I was a bridesmaid in my friend's wedding, so I had worked with this guy, and he was great. And so as soon as we got engaged, I reached out to him to see if he was free for our weekend and mentioned that it was a referral from my friend. He knocked 500 bucks off the package. Same with our DJ. It was somebody who DJed one of my cousin's weddings. He knocked money off and added a couple well, special party lights or what have you. And those were just easy ways to... Did you ask? Did you say like, oh, yeah. hey, so you should be... Yeah, I, shouldn't I was like, be- I heard you at Hillary and CJ's wedding. I'm their cousin. You did such a great job. I'd love to have you play ours. Can I get any sort of referral discount from knowing you through them? 
And he's like, yeah, sure, of course. That's great. That's a lot so of vendors do that, referral discounts. That's a great trick. I think yeah. that's wonderful. And you've then already, you know, you don't need a resume. You've enjoyed their wares, if you will, by going through the process already at a different wedding. So that was a really good one, especially with a DJ, because that was like one of the most important things to us. So I'd also say identify what is most important to you. Well, Tim and I made a list of the three things that were the most important. And I said, I wanted to wear a very pretty dress. I wanted to take pictures of it. And um, and I would have liked dancing. We had a very small wedding. And he said, he said he only wanted people he wanted there and he wanted decent food. And then I forgot the third one. And we managed to get two out of four of those things. But at least we, we, we knew what was important. So the rest of it was very easy to kind of fall away. It is. It is easy to do that. And one hack I was just emailing about today um, for our flowers is I said, well, instead of having all of the centerpieces having to be additional centerpieces, why don't we take the bouquets that the bridesmaids are doing and just shove them into the middle of the centerpieces when they come in? Because otherwise, that's just a waste of flowers. They were in the pictures, and then, what, are they just sitting on the table? And they have to take them home and feel guilty, put them in the fridge. And then R, we're doing the sweetheart table. Ours will just be my flowers in the middle. One thing we did, we actually had our wedding in a restaurant so that was beautifully decorated um, in Tribeca, so we didn't have to bring in anything. They had the flowers. They had beautiful decorations. So we saved a lot of money just by letting them do what they did best. We actually got that advice. The church that we're using, the wedding coordinator there went, please don't spend money. It's a gorgeous church. For the flowers, you don't need to do anything extra. And we walked in, we're like, yeah. I mean, we go there, but we're like, yeah, you really don't. He goes, if you want to do a small thing on the middle of the altar, fine. But otherwise, why waste the money? He goes, brides spend thousands of dollars in here and they don't need it. And then they have to figure out how to get them out of there. Exactly. I like your idea of sticking the bride's bouquets in the vase because I think that's a great idea. Last question. What are your honeymoon hacks if you are already planning your honeymoon? Well, one is to do it nine months out from our wedding. Okay. that's because Peach is a teacher. So we're getting married in September, beginning of the school year. We're not going to take the honeymoon until July. So it will be almost a full nine months out. We are going to do a little bit of a three-day weekend mini-moon kind of thing nearby to, you know, relax afterwards. It's a great idea. But then we can use money from, you know, the guests at the actual wedding and put that towards the honeymoon. We will be doing a little bit of credit card hacking in order to get the flights and hotels and stuff. And it just gives us nine more months to save up because we're not scrimping on this. I'll be honest. This is going to be kind of a blowout trip. So I wanted to be able to save up extra for it as well. Do you have a registry? We do. And a big part of that is because I know my family, they want to give me tangible things. So I wanted to be tangible things that I wanted. And also I have a lot of kitchen appliances from when I was in college seven years ago that desperately need to be replaced. So it's not going to be adding clutter. It's going to be replacing things that do really need to get tossed. Well, I feel like we went through an entire relationship together. <laughs> and I, I learned a lot. And I think in whatever stage you're at, you can always talk to your partner and get smarter about money together. It's true. And it's an evolving process. I think that's an important important thing to remember is you both will change over time. Your circumstances will change over time. So you do need to make sure you meet each other relatively often to talk about money. Well, we're very excited for your wedding and we wish you all the happiness in the world. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Teach Me How to Money. Send us your questions at teachmehowtomoney at stashinvest.com and we'll try to answer them on a future episode. If you like what you're hearing, leave us a review on the iTunes store, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts don't have stash yet just go to stashinvest.com slash podcast and you can get five dollars to get you started on your investment journey stash it's your money simplified this podcast should not be copied distributed published or reproduced in whole or in part the information contained in this podcast does not constitute a recommendation from stash to the listener 
Neither Stash nor any of its officers, directors, or employees makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of these statements or any of the information contained in this podcast and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Stash, and Stash is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. In addition, the receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of advice by Stash to the listener, nor to constitute such a person a client of Stash.